Hey there, this is Brian. I'm the host of the Engaging Missions show. If you've found this show for the first time, I did want to take a second to let you know that this show is not currently in production. You're certainly welcome to check out all of the archives, but we don't have new episodes coming out at the moment. However, I did want to take a second to highlight one of the sponsors that sponsored the show a while ago. They're not currently sponsoring the show, but if you're looking for a place to invest in the kingdom, I'd recommend checking out Mega Voice Audio Bibles. You can find them at megavoice.com, or you'll find a link in the show notes, and I would encourage you to just check that out and see if maybe that's a fit for your giving. There's no compensation here or anything like that. I just wanted to highlight them. And with that, I'll get you back into the regular program. Hello, friends. This is Caleb Suko, host of the Now is the Time podcast, coming to you from Odessa, Ukraine, to tell you that you are listening to one of my favorite podcasts on missions, the Engaging Missions podcast with host Brian Ensminger. Welcome to the Engaging Mission Show with Brian Ensminger. We are bringing missions home. Each week, we hear from missionaries, ministry leaders, disciple makers, and church planters as they share about God's work in their lives and ministries. Like us, they are ordinary people who serve an extraordinary God. Ladies and gentlemen, here's your host, Brian Ensminger. Hi, and welcome to the Engaging Missions Show. I'm really glad that you're here. In this week's episode, we're going to talk about forgiveness and overcoming hardships. And Scott McClelland of FX Missions is going to continue his series on security and leadership. Now, before we get started, I just I'm wondering if you would be interested in watching a recording live. It's something that I've thought about in the past, and when I was talking with my friend Michael at church a couple weeks ago, he suggested it might be interesting to him as well. It's certainly something that we can do if you and my guests are up to it, so I thought I'd just ask. If that interests you, shoot me a note to feedback at engagingmissions.com. Just let me know that you're interested, or even if you're not. And then one other thing I just want to mention before we get into this week's episode, that we're going to talk about some grown-up topics today. It's nothing inappropriate, but maybe some things I'm not ready to talk about with my five-year-old daughter. So just keep that in mind and use your own discretion. With that, we're going to go ahead and get right into this week's episode. All right, let's get started. Today, I have a special guest with me. And if you've listened to several episodes, you've you've noticed now that I've got quite a variety of guests, and today's going to be no different. I have with me Annette Eastis. Uh, she's the co-founder of Extreme Calling, along with her husband, John, but she's also the recent author of a book called Playing Dead, Choosing Life, and today we're probably going to talk a little bit about that and also about the ministry that God has her doing. As I was praying and preparing for today, I just really felt like God was telling me to just kind of open the floor and we'll just start talking. So I've read her book. I know that she's a pastor, a soul coach, some of that stuff. We'll maybe talk about credentials later, but I just want to introduce to you Annette Eastis. So Annette, welcome to the show. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it, you know, it's really great to connect with you, and it's a little bit interesting to connect with somebody after having read a book that's in so many ways uh, autobiographical. A lot of our guests, or a lot of our listeners, probably haven't read your book yet. So, would you mind sharing with us a little bit about who you are? Uh, you know, maybe a little bit about your background and uh, about your family. Well, I was born of one of eight children. Um, I'm Hispanic. I was born in Southern California, spent a lot of time at the beach, and sometimes in the mountain, we went camping a lot, and 
I thought I had the typical childhood that everybody would have in Southern California, raised in a middle-class neighborhood. Um, but now I move every three and a half to five years um, all over the nation and been to China as well, uh, being a missionary, but mostly in the United States. Okay. And I believe, you know, having read your book, I know that your husband, John, has been a real strong part of your life. Can you share a little bit about how he's kind of, how you've worked together? Because it's not just one of you and the other. You you really do minister together. We do. Um, I am just so grateful for John in my life. He's been such a rock at so many times in my life. Uh, taught me how to build a good foundation in Christ in the beginning. And... Um, what can I say? He's just amazing. Um, he definitely is an evangelist, gifted, gifted. And so when we travel and so many people come to salvation, it's mostly because of his gifting that he has on that. And um, I come along when people have gotten saved, and that's when it seems like the soul care really comes into play because a lot of people who have been brokenhearted, who have had tragedies in their life, who have had great traumas in their life, really struggle to get on their feet and get that strong foundation in the beginning in the Word because they just can't understand how these horrible events could happen in their life. And um, so that's where my soul, part com- soul care comes in that I work with them on. Okay, and also when we were talking before the call, you had mentioned, you know, one of the questions I sent was, what was something that people might not think about, uh, that they might not know about you? And you mentioned a specific word. Would you mind sharing with us a little bit about that? Uh, about three weeks ago, I kept hearing it a lot, and the biggest word that people were putting with my name was survivor. I never really saw myself one as a survivor, but I could see how people would see that now. Um, it's just one of those things where you have to look backwards when I look at the book and I'm reading the stories myself and it's like, God put the survival instinct in me. That's really strong. And I'm, I'm so grateful for it. Would you mind sharing with us uh, from the book? The, the whole book is a story of challenges and redemption and how God's moved in your life. Would you mind sharing with us some of the challenges that you faced and how God walked you through those? Um, well, I was sexually abused. It started when I was three years old and then compressed, um, continued until I was 10 Stopped for a few years, and then um, I was sexually attacked in a pastor's office when I was 16 for four hours. Um, And from there, my bitterness and hatred towards people, family, really grew. Uh, But thankfully, God can break even the hardest of hearts, and uh, that's what he did for me. And he taught me how to walk in his word and to walk in his healing that he can give and to learn how to forgive and take a lot of weight off my shoulders. And that's pretty much it. So, Annette, you know, as we were, as I was reading the book and you've talked a little bit about some of the healing that God's brought in your life. One of the chapters that I remember talked a lot about some of the small gods that uh, you were using, the the other things that you were using to sort of numb the pain. Would you mind sharing with us some of the some of the ways that God worked in your life to replace those with himself? I don't want to so much focus on the specifics of what those things were as just how God replaced those over time. Well, I think the biggest thing was I didn't realize until the age of 40 that I self-harm all my life. It was pretty heavy from the age of five all the way to about 23 that I self-harmed very, very heavily. Um, 
and then maybe just once or twice a year into the age of 40, but I was still very blind to it. I never saw myself as a cutter. Um, I never used a knife on my skin, that type of thing. And so maybe that's how I disengaged myself from actually identifying myself as a cutter. But I did, I used everything but a knife or a blade upon my body. And I always had hid all my wounds. So nobody knew that this was going on in my life. Um, when God showed me at the age of 40, this sin in my life and that it was time to stop, I realized I had a small G God that I had placed in my life to help me survive through the sexual abuse I was experiencing when I was younger in life, but I no, no, no longer needed it. Um, however, the thought of not ever doing it again, what if I actually needed it? Um, was very scary for me. And I just wasn't sure if I said, you're right, God, I repent. I, I'll never do that again if I truly could live that way. And I didn't want to tell God I was sorry and repent because I knew what that meant. It meant not going back to that sin. And I just wasn't sure how I can do that. I needed him to transform me, not me work on behavioral changes, but actually transform my heart, my mind, my soul, so that I could be set free from this evil that I continue to do for so many years. I was told by so many people, therapists, psychiatrists, you'll never be able to stop, um, even Christian ones. And all I kept thinking about was the verse of Matthew 19, 26, but it said, all things are possible. <laughs> all things are possible. And I'm thinking, I have taught my children, and they're teaching our grandchildren, that all things are possible. Then why couldn't he help this 40-year-old? Yes, I had been cutting and maiming my body for 35 years, and it was a very bad addictive habit that I had. Why couldn't he heal me? Why couldn't he? If he couldn't, then I. Then why are we teaching our children these things? That God is big enough. He either was big enough, and I would continue on telling people that Jesus is the answer and Jesus is enough, or I would stop saying the line that Jesus is enough. And that's when I had to find out who I was in Christ and start memorizing those verses and get a good foundation in my heart and in my mind and in my soul so that I could stand firmly on that and believe on that so I can make it the first day without harming myself and the second day without cutting. And then by seven days, it was like, oh, Jesus. And then, of course, temptation would come, but he came through every time. And at three months, I couldn't believe I made it three months. And at six months, I couldn't believe I made it six months. And at a year, it was total celebration. But I still knew, everything inside of me still knew what relief that cutting and harming, what it felt like. I still, it was so fresh. Hmm. But I thank God to this day, I've never touched it again. So you talked about how God did this in in your life, but I also know that you were an active participant. You also did things like memorizing scripture. Can you share with us how you were a partner with God in this time? Every single moment, every single part of the day, was always being accountable to him and him being right there in every situation, just like he is now in the conversation that we're having. There's three people in this conversation. It's just not you and me. And that makes all the difference in the world. How can I go ahead and grab an object and start to hurt my body with him watching me, paying attention? He's right here with me. I can't do that. There's no place to hide. 
He sees it all. And in his word is where I learned this. And in his word is where I found that foundation. You've written quite a bit about forgiveness. Would you mind sharing with us a little bit about how God worked forgiveness in your life? Because there were some pretty big things to forgive. There was. Um, I, I was pretty bitter and pretty resentful, uh, to be honest with you. And the thought of forgiving someone for sexually abusing me was beyond my imagination. But God's word kept saying that if we were to be forgiven, we're to forgive. And all I could do was say, okay, God, I can do it with my mouth. Please help my heart and mind to follow suit because I'm not feeling it. If you're, if I'm going by my emotions here, I certainly do not want to forgive. And I, there's just nothing in me, not even a speck. And so every time it would come up in my mind, it's like, no, I've forgiven them. Jesus, I've forgiven them in your name. It's in your hands. I just plead the blood over it. And that's how it would continuously be. And believe it or not, I would find myself at the three-month mark usually, because it would come up often, the hurt, Mm -hmm. because the hurt comes back up. Uh, The person might still be treating you badly. And uh, by the three-month mark, usually my heart is so broken for them. I'm crying and praying for them, just like God said, pray for your enemies. (laughs) I'm crying and praying for them that they will be able to experience God um, because they're not realizing the hurt that they're causing others. If, if somebody listening to this show has been through something like this or maybe knows someone who's been through something similar, some kind of traumatic event like this, do you have any advice for how, how they can begin moving in the direction God would take them? Seek God on who he could bring into your life that you could just even speak to so that you could be heard and listened to. Um, you really need somebody iron on iron to speak into your life during that time. Um, somebody that you could trust it, that that's a huge thing is having people in your life. You can trust, but get into the word until God brings you somebody, um, and stay in that word and just keep feeding your soul with it and believing that he's going to bring that person to come into your life, to help you walk through this trauma, this situation, whether it's grief over somebody's death or whatever it is. Um, that God has those people out there that he's gifted, that can come alongside you and help you walk through this broken heart of yours into healing. And so that you too can go out and find those that are broken hearted and bring them to healing in Christ as well. Wow, that's good. With that, we are going to go ahead and take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to shift our focus a little bit to learn a little bit more about the ministry that you have. Okay. Take your leadership to the next level. It's time for the Foundational Missions Leadership Moment with Scott McClelland of FX Missions. Hi, it's Scott McClelland. Thanks for joining us. Uh, we're on a little bit of a series here regarding security and leadership. Last time I talked a little bit about this, and we'll be using several sessions to do so. The theme is we're following the Lord as a leader, and we're getting static from the people who are following us. Last time we said, be careful not to be arrogant about what you're doing. Even if you're sure that you're following Jesus, you need to follow in humility. And uh, going forward from there, you know, it's it's rare to get static from uh, people who are cooperating with your influence when everything's going well. Often that appears uh, most clearly in times of 
change or in times of crisis. We see this over and over throughout the scripture, especially my mind goes to situation with Moses and the children of Israel. Things would uh, get difficult and there, the, the nagging would start. And that's, I think, a typical uh, of human nature and a window to humanity there. And it's not, not don't be surprised uh, if uh, things are become challenged and, and people um, unravel a bit and say some things that might not be very kind. <laughs> As I was looking back in my journal from a time I went through in 2010, I came across uh, a number of things that I recorded really in personal conversation to the Lord about something like this I was going through. First of all, I want to say courage is super important when we're going to take on the responsibility uh, and the burden of leadership. That might be why the scripture says, don't be many teachers because there'll be a, a harder judgment on those people or a, a more thorough evaluation of their lives. Um, you know, it's a big deal entering into such things as accepting influence over other uh, people's lives. It will require courage for us to follow the Lord, and that courage will be tested when people uh, are resisting or maybe protesting the influence that we're walking in. We'll continue with this theme next time. I'm Scott McClellan. Contact us at fxmissions.com or on most social media outlets at fxmissions. We'll see you next time on The Leadership Moment. Have a good one. This Leadership Moment was produced in partnership with Engaging Missions. Have your leadership question answered by contacting Scott at scott at fxmissions.com. Visit FX Missions to learn more about how you can grow your leadership and engage in missions. Visit engagingmissions.com for encouragement, insight, and resources from missionaries, ministry leaders, and church planters. All right, we're back with Annette Eastis. She's been sharing a little bit about her history and some of the healing that God's done in her life, but, you know, that's not the whole story. God also ministers through her and through her husband. So I want to shift the focus toward the ministry. Annette, would you share with us what it is that you and your husband do? Well, we move into an area in a city where we feel um, that there isn't a Christian presence at that moment. Um, I know a lot of people say, well, there's a church here and a church there. Well, the Christians that are in that community are usually going to that church. So what we usually do is we head to the closest skate park. And at the skate park, we will go ahead and build relationships there. And that's what the Extreme Calling Ministry does, is go to skate parks and communities and share the love of Jesus Christ unconditionally. Um, the soul care ministry that came out of it, that's mostly my side of it, is just out of those who have come to Christ, let's say, at the skate park, whether it's not just them, but their parents, uh, because it involves a whole family when somebody comes to Christ, um, that type of situation. So the soul care uh, part that I do with caring for those with uh, broken hearts uh, and wounds from tragedies and such is the part that I mostly focus on. So, so how did you choose skate parks as the place where you focus your attention? <laughs> well, <laughs> 15 years ago, um, my husband and I were involved in a regular Christian church. Our kids were in the Iwana program, and I would 
put it mostly like they were very clean cut families, kids there. Mm-hmm. And um, my husband started going to the market and every time he'd come back, he'd come back crying and saying, God is just breaking my heart for the kids that are skating at the local market in the parking lot there. Cause there's no other place for them to skate in town. And I'm thinking, so what? <laughs> I know <laughs> not very compassionate. Um, and during our morning prayer time as a family doing devotions, he would start praying for them and start crying. And we could all see he was very moved by this. And so we started praying for them as well. I will be totally honest. I was prejudiced against them. I didn't realize I was because when I went to go pray, I said, Lord, you need to help them. Like the them was a different nationality or something. I just wanted them to pull up their pants, stop cussing and (laughs) things like that and stop saying things that were just disrespectful to others in the parking lots when I would go to town. But when I prayed that God would break my heart for just one because I saw my husband being drawn to that culture so much. I felt like I'm going to be left behind because I can't stand those kids. They're just not perfect. Um, that's when he broke my heart for all of them. And since then, we travel um, every about three and a half to five years. We move to a new city, plant in every skate park we can during that time. Uh, we go ahead and church plant in those areas, and they take off like wildfire. Okay, so some of our guests or some of our listeners rather will know what you mean by church plant, but can you share with us what that means? Well, basically, we all of a sudden share Christ with a Mm non-Christian, and then we go ahead and work with them to go ahead. Who are they going to tell? And usually we don't even have to ask them that. Uh, They'll go ahead and bring somebody else up to us the following week saying, tell him the same story you told me. Tell him about Jesus. And then they bring somebody back, and they keep doing that. And now all of a sudden we have a group of 10 to 20 people, and we go ahead and start having church with them where they're actually learning the Word of God. It doesn't look like regular church where there's music or guitar playing or anything like that. I find that mostly it's them sharing their testimonies is worship. Hmm. them talking about how they used the scripture this past week. Um, and church for them usually goes about two hours, and that's them pushing it. If you don't have teaching that you could do for at least an hour, an hour and a half, the skaters, it's not like regular American church. They feel like all week long they've waited for more learning. And for hmm. them to just get 30 minutes of learning the word is just not enough for them. So they come there and they learn and then they take it. And the job is for them to turn around that week and teach the same lesson that we just taught them to someone else. And so it grows exponentially. What excites you the most about what you're doing now? Oh, to see people accept Christ, their savior, to become whole once again, the way that God wanted them to be, to see them go and find the design that God has placed on them. Oh my goodness. That's where my passion is. What surprised you the most when you started doing this? That it wasn't complicated. (laughs) All I had to do was learn a skater's name. And then when I saw them again, say, hello, William, how are you doing today? And that's when I found out nobody ever calls him William. Everybody calls him stupid or jerk or some nickname, W whatever it is. Hmm. And For me to call him William was like God reaching out to them and loving him enough to treat them with such compassion and love. Whether they treated me with it or not, um, that was huge for them. And it was so easy because people are not used to receiving unconditional love unless you do exactly what you want for them. 
You mentioned that you and your husband kind of operate as a team, that he's maybe more of the evangelist and you're more of the soul care person. Can you maybe put a little bit more flesh on how that works in the ministry and in, in specifically in planting churches? Well, um, I'm out there at the skate park with him. Mm-hmm. Um, because I'm not an evangelist, I, it's really hard for me to walk up to a total stranger and say, hi, my name's Annette, and really start in. It's just not my personality like my husband. So what I do is I take a camera out there, and every person wants to be on YouTube. Every person <laughs> wants to look great on Facebook, and we have our own Facebook page. And so on our Facebook page, you're able to go on there and see all the skate parks that we've been at, and we put updated photos every week. And I will make people look fantastic in a photo, whether you really are flying through the air or not. And um, that's how I build a relationship with the skaters and get to know their names and from there, get to know their parents' names. Their parents might come by, that type of thing. We deal with skaters usually from the age of 80 to about 45. Is he, I'm sorry, did you say 80 to 45? Uh, age 8 to 45. Okay, sorry, I, I, I had trouble picturing that one. <laughs> that, that'd be great. <laughs> I think that'd be wonderful. Yes, it so, would be. <laughs> so I know that you also, uh, you're also a speaker. Do you, how do you balance what you do at the skate park with some of the things that you do in, in other places? Um, well, the skate park, we always are trying. We know our time is always limited. We're not sure how long we'll be there for how many years. So our goal is always to raise up the leaders in that skate park. And while we're doing that, train others that are already Christians in the community. If there's a church close by, see if any of their church members have a desire to work outside of the church building because, boy, we would love them there. That brings us experience. That brings them people that know stories. I usually say, if you know at least seven stories from the Bible, you are so overqualified for working with us because the skaters love Bible stories. And a lot of people just don't realize that they are just a wealth of Bible stories inside of them that have been Christians for even two years. Wow. Yeah. So I'm I'm glad that you mentioned that because one of the things I was thinking about is, you know, you've talked about being there from three to five years and you plant a church and then you leave, but you don't leave them alone, if you will. I mean, there's, you're raising up leadership, you're training people, right? Correct. So there's usually a pastor that's left with them. Uh, They have their leadership uh, over the skaters. And so it's all set up. So it continues to multiply out and multiply out with us there or not there. How how is it that you know you mentioned that you go out in, into other churches in in the area and maybe try and bring other people into ministering to these people not into your ministry in quotes or anything like that but bring them into ministering how do you other how do you get people involved um, sometimes we'll just walk up to see uh, what is the local churches that are right there around a skate park because they're the ones which would obviously you would think would be interested uh, with these skaters that are in that community there. But it's not always the case. Um, sometimes you just got to really pray and you're walking the park because usually a skate park has a park around it of a sort and just start talking with people. And Christians usually aren't hard to find in the other part <laughs> of a regular park where there's children and swings and that type of thing they're out there with their families um and just to be able to start talking with them and hey this is what we're doing over at the skate park and it sparks the jesus and them to go man i would love to help you guys what do you guys need just for you to show up yeah that's great if you had it all to if you had to do it all over again is there anything that you do differently Hmm. anything that i do differently well 
I definitely would would not have started self-harming <laughs> way back when. Um, yeah. That was a really bad addiction that I started way back when. Um, I w- would have loved to have learned forgiveness as deeply as God has really brought me to and forgive so much faster hmm. as I do today. Definitely. And that unconditional love, I know I don't have it down perfect, but I wish I would have unconditionally loved 20 years ago the way I can love today. Wow. Those, those are good. You know, a lot of times it seems like, especially as Christians, we tend to elevate people who have a very difficult testimony, who were saved out of drugs or that kind of thing. And we sometimes forget that there's huge value in having walked with Christ for a long time and having never started those things. So I'm, I'm really glad that you mentioned that. As we tie a bow on this section, we'll take a break in just a second, but I'm wondering, as you think about the ministry that you and your husband have, what kinds of challenges have you faced in ministering to people in the skate park? Well, um, in the beginning, sometimes we're not welcomed. Um, sometimes skaters will go ahead and wipe feces all over our car, uh, yell at us um, with not really great words, hmm. um, that type of thing. Uh, the spiritual darkness is there if if there's not more christ there than the others there and so we've had a lot of demonic activity type thing where somebody accepts christ and everything is going fine and then all of a sudden in the skate park somebody just starts throwing their skateboard going wild starts howling and you're wondering what the heck is going on Mm. and uh so that was all new for us in the beginning yeah did that I I guess I'm going to extend this because there's another question then. Was that part of your theology before you started ministering? Um, Being aware of the spiritual warfare? No. As soon as all of that started happening, we picked up every book that we could get our hands on to understand what was going on because we never experienced that before working with the American church and having Awanas. (laughs) The worst that we would ever have is an ADHD kid. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. So, you know, as, as you think about that, was there maybe a a turning point where God started to kind of shift that and you were able to go, okay, now we know how to walk in this. We had to learn the word of God. We had to basically not just hold our Bible, but know the power in Christ that we had with it and actually learn how to use our sword. Yeah. So I guess I should probably mention the reason I'm asking about this is because hearing stories about this kind of thing from a a missionary on foreign soil isn't all that unusual, but it's definitely unusual to hear about it in the U.S. So if somebody comes in contact with that, I want people to understand, you know, or to be equipped for that. Uh, You you mentioned the word of God. Is there maybe a, a resource connected to that that would point people to a way to develop their theology around this or not around this, but to include this? Um, at the top of my head here, I can't think of okay. a book to recommend, but there's so many good ones out there. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's a little bit unfair that I kind of sprung that on you. But no problem. Yeah. So I think we'll probably go ahead and take a break. And then when we come back, we're going to shift our focus a little bit more toward resources for our listeners. Okay. Here's a taste of what's coming up on the Engaging Mission Show. Um, I, I thought actually at that time, um, I was giving up all my desires for sports because I was quite a rebel on the basketball court. I was always getting technical fouls or getting kicked out of games um, because I didn't know the Lord. 
And so I thought at that time I was going to quit sports. And, and then as I started to share the gospel more, I thought I was going to do more mission work. Um, and I thought that was very separate things. But the Lord has really brought it full circle, actually, in a time when I was in Uganda um, sharing the gospel and doing um, a, like a child sponsorship program. But I realized that two o'clock every day we were done with our work and I would just say, hey, we only got a couple of weeks more here. Let's dribble up a soccer ball up the road. And I saw how something as simple as a soccer ball could, it's like a magnet to kids who would never step foot in a church building or whatever. So I saw the power of sport and how it can be used as a platform for making disciples of Jesus. If you enjoyed that, you won't want to miss a single episode of the Engaging Mission Show. Subscribe in iTunes or Stitcher to have it delivered automatically. Visit engagingmissions.com slash subscribe. That's engagingmissions.com slash subscribe. All right, we're back with Annette Eastis. And as we were talking through the break, we realized that we haven't yet defined for you what soul care is. And so if you've been listening, you might be going to yourself, what in the world is soul care? So Annette, would you share with us what that means in your ministry? Sure. Well, in the beginning, um, I did go ahead and get my pastoral license. And so both my husband and I are both licensed pastors. We went to school. Um, but what I discovered along the way was I really needed more counseling classes. I had so many hurting people coming forward. So I took a lot of counseling classes extra beyond the ones that are offered when you go into study to be a pastor. Um, and what I found was it wasn't everything. And so then somebody introduced me to life coaching. And I really enjoyed the questions and how that was done as well. And it's more seeking the Holy Spirit that's inside of somebody and them actually um, hearing from God as well. And it was like, I really enjoyed coaching. I really enjoyed the counseling. And what I found was if I was to mix the two together, then I was able to do soul care. So at times when I'm working with somebody, I'm using my coaching tools. And at other times, I'm using my counseling tools. But no matter what is happening... It's all about their soul and what Jesus is doing in their heart at that time. And so it just turned out to be what we call now soul care. Okay. Yeah, that's good. Thank you. Thank you for putting some flesh on that. That's, that's really important for us, I think. As, as you think about people who are listening to the, this show, most of them are people who are called into the marketplace and they care deeply about missions and about ministry, but they don't necessarily feel called to vocational ministry. In that situation, sometimes it can begin to feel a little bit like what we do doesn't really matter. What would you share with somebody in that situation? Well, actually, I worked uh, with the major retail store. I don't want to mention it at this time, but basically for eight years. Um, right now, I am done doing that. Uh, God has pulled me off of that right now because I have so many people I'm working with soul care wise on the side. But basically, I got up every day, went and did human resources for a big retail company. And in doing that, it gave me access to all these people who didn't know Christ. It was like a lake that was packed with fish. And it was a great opportunity to share Christ with all these people. And I just couldn't wait to get to work every single day. Um, they were hurting. They were lost without Christ. And I had the answer. And then my thought was, but if I move every three and a half to five years, who's going to be able to be here to continue it on? And so what I started doing was starting Bible studies at the local retail store at lunchtime. Hmm. And what I did was I made a book club 
And everybody would come around and I'd say, I'm doing a book club. So just bring your favorite book and you get to share a section out of that book every week. And then it turned into three days a week. But basically they were able to do that. When I would, it was my turn, I would share a story out of the Bible. So I knew my story by heart. So I would go ahead and talk about, um, David and Goliath and talk about the underdog. Everybody's been an underdog somewhere in their life. And so I would tell about the story. And at the end, I'm like, where's that book? Or I would tell about the woman in the well. Everybody's felt like the woman at the well. Mm. Underappreciated and then felt like they were an outcast um, and that they had value. And here was this man seeing this woman and it was Jesus. But all the while, while I'm telling the story, I'm not mentioning the characters' names until the very end. And that's where all of a sudden they were like, where is that? I said, all you have to do is Google it. Actually, you don't have to buy the book. You can Google and it comes under this address and you'd go to Matthew and then I would give them the address and they would Google it and they could read it on their own. The only thing that I had with them is that anytime I told a story, there was one requirement that they had to go back home and it didn't matter who they told or They could even tell somebody at work, but they had to repeat the story just once. And if they did, they were allowed to come back and hear another juicy story that I had because the Bible is filled with incredible stories because everybody with the book of the week that would always come was always one of those romance novels that were really hideous Hmm. and they wanted to hear really juicy stuff. Well, the Bible has enough stuff in there to (laughs) grab people's interests and, um, they just loved hearing the word of God. And eventually they would want to meet with me separately to hear more about this Jesus. And then they would end up accepting Christ. And then they would become the leader of that Bible study. And I would be able to go to another resale store that was in that district and start it over there. And then the next one. So usually with each state that we moved from, there was at least six to seven brand new Bible studies that started at those stores and still continue to this day in each of those states. Wow, that is really cool. I've never heard that particular approach, so that's great. Before we started recording, we had had talked a little bit about a question that I have. So I I have a little girl who's, she's five, and I'm interested because I care about protecting her. And you mentioned one specific thing that I think is really valuable. Would you mind sharing that with us? Um, I believe you asked, how could you protect protect her? her? Yeah. Um, Because... There's going to be slumber parties for your little girl. There's going to be all sorts of activities or just spending the night at their uncle's house, whatever it is. And I think the biggest thing is to try to be able to listen. In other words, stop what you're doing when they're trying to speak to you. And even if it's not making sense, and the example is when I was three years old, every time I was put in a man's lap, I would say, owie, owie, and I would always squirm and a little kid, a three-year-old has big head, throw my backpack and my head. And so I'd be able to get out of their arms. And everybody just thought I was a very moody baby, that I was just very melancholy. And the bottom line was, I couldn't say at three years of age, they're hurting me. But when I kept saying, Owie, I was trying to communicate that. At five, I communicated more, but I wasn't believed. And I think the biggest thing is there's truth to be heard but people need to take the time to actually listen to a little girl, even if it sounds really off. That's that's good. I I appreciate that. And that's why I wanted to have you share that. Do you have a, maybe a tool or an inter, internet resource, something that you'd recommend for our listeners? Um, the 
Wounded Heart by Dan Ellinger is a really good book. And um, it was one of the first books that I had read over about 12 years ago. And it really helped me as a sexually abused person, but it also helped so many that, like my husband, who couldn't understand me, for him to be able to read it and to be able to help me walk through the healing process. Now, that's good. And for those of you who are listening, I'd also like to recommend that if you're, if you know somebody who's been through something like this and you're kind of struggling to understand, I might recommend that you go ahead and pick up Annette's book um, because it's a really, it, for me, it was eye-opening. I'll just put it that way. For me, it was very eye-opening. We will have all of this linked up in the show notes, which will be at engagingmissions.com slash Annette Eastis. And this, this isn't about me trying to sell more of her books, although I hope she sells a whole bunch of them, but really just trying to connect people with this. If you need this resource, I'd recommend that you check out the book she recommended or the book she wrote. I think those are wonderful. Annette, we are just about done. Do you have maybe one last piece of advice to share with us and a way for people to connect with you? Well, they can connect with me easily. Um, you, they can go to the Facebook page called Plain Dead Choosing Life. Okay. Or they could write me personally at Ann, A-N-N, the number one, at AOL.com. Um, the other is there's great resources through Mercy Multiplied, which you have right over there in Nashville. Okay. And you can go to their site at MercyMultiplied.com, and they help with those who've been uh, sexually abused, um, starving, bulimia, anorexia, um, drugs, that type of thing. And they'd be able to have really good resources for other people too as well. Okay. And uh, any other advice for us? Believe it's possible. Believe in that even if you have the most broken heart, believe if you've already tired to take your life twice and you still just want to die. And it's just not happening for you. Um, that God loves you so much and he does have a good plan and a future for you, even though you can't see it at all today. To reach out, call somebody at Mercy Multiplied, write me at N1 at AOL.com. God loves you so much. And if I would have known that this today was here, even though back at 10 years of age, all I wanted to do was die. Um, oh my gosh, it would have just inspired me to keep on going because I am living a blessed life today. So blessed beyond anything I could have ever hoped or imagined. No, that's good. Thank you so much for being with us, Annette. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Engaging Mission Show. You can find more great content like this, along with show notes, by visiting engagingmissions.com or by subscribing to the show in iTunes or Stitcher. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us an honest rating and review in iTunes. Audio editing was provided by Jeff Butterworth of Sound Paradigm Studio. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll be back next week.